You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And joining us as he does semi-frequently, I, I think he's a semi-regular contributor to the podcast, our good friend, a PhD candidate in film at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, your favorite basketball blogger slash movie guy jj Birch. jj how you doing buddy hey i'm doing well how are you i'm i'm actually great so um just a heads up for everyone wanting to hear us talk basketball that's not going to happen today um we have a we have a day here where we can spend a little time uh, going off the the beaten path so this will be a podcast about movies it is oscar week so we will be talking about movies for the entirety of this podcast if that's not for you, that's totally fine. Come back tomorrow. We'll likely end up talking about Marcus Thompson's article uh, at The Athletic about Giannis and his smile at Steph Curry and why that means he will be leaving for Golden State uh, in three years, I think, two years. Um, so, yeah, you can look forward to that. I'm sure Frank and I will have um, opinions on on that notion and uh, i'm sure in the next couple of days we'll also find some basketball to talk about as well uh but for now it is oscar week frank by the way go ahead by the way let, let's just be clear there's really no substance behind it it's just a hypothetical so if people haven't seen well, story, just wait a second frank i mentioned the smile yeah exactly because no because chris middleton never has thrown that type of bounce pass alley-oop to Giannis. therefore uh he's got to look elsewhere but no it's it's, you know, one of those uh, things people write, and it's hypothetical and whatever. It's Warriors um, exceptionalism. It's Warriors exceptionalism, so nobody needs to freak out and whatever. I'll begrudgingly talk about this topic tomorrow. Um, but for tonight, um, I'll just be a woefully underprepared uh, junior movie critic with, with you and JJ. <laughs> I think I'm pretty woefully unprepared as well, like at least if you're going to compare me to JJ. So uh, that should be totally fine. But what I want to do is it is Oscar week. Um, JJ, can you give me like your your hottest uh, Oscar take, like something that is going to surprise me about this year's Oscars or something you feel uh, very strongly about that differs from uh, the rest of the, the film community? Yeah, I have a hot take. Uh, in 2021, Giannis Kumpo is going to the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Damn it, no. This isn't the podcast that's, I set out to record. That's my, no. that's my one take. Steph Curry looked very smiley. He was having a lot of fun. Giannis was having fun too. Giannis has never had fun in a Bucks uniform. Uh, he's going there. Uh, hottest take ooh, about the Oscars. I mean... There are almost 
too many at this point. I think I liked two of the Best Picture nominees, and that's... That's not a great start. That's it. Yeah, there are eight this year, and I, I liked two of them. Um, I'll keep it a mystery. No, I, I liked A Star is Born quite a bit, and I really loved The Favorite. But um, the rest of them... I guess Roma is really my hot take film. I think it's probably what's going to win Best Picture, and I just found it fully empty and unenjoyable from start to finish and entirely <laughs> unproductive. Uh, I feel like Alfonso Cuaron is kind of uh, intellectually and creatively bankrupt. And um, he produces... He produces Kill it with fire! Kill it produ- with fire! <laughs> he produces these wondrous images that are wondrous only in the fact that they lead back to um, him being the person who made them, and he's very proud of them. Uh, and they're no fun to watch. So yeah, that's probably my hottest of of the takes. So I've seen a bunch of people on Twitter talk about Roma and be like, man, does this movie ever go anywhere? And, you know, like when I see a take about uh, an acclaimed movie in that way, I tend to think like, okay, maybe this person isn't used to watching like a really, you know, artistic film or something Mm -hmm. like that. But you're saying that wasn't the case with Roma. It was literally just a path to nowhere. Yeah, I mean, well, it's this weird thing where Alfonso Cuarón the director um has has made a career out of like yes small intimate art movies films like e2 mama tambien but then also like big spectacle based films like children of men or gravity or harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban um and this is the movie where he tries to combine those two sensibilities super clearly so it's a it's a very small intimate story um it's based on his own real life uh about his growing up uh, in Mexico City, uh, and the central character is this maid uh, slash sort of nanny. Um, based on his real life maid slash nanny, he conducted a series of interviews, I believe, before actually doing the film with the nanny. Um, although I, I do not believe her name is listed anywhere in the credits, um, which I think is a problem with the film. It's very much his perspective or his sort of mm-hmm. new awakening that this person was a person who helped his family out. Um, but then it's told, it's this small sort of intimate story told in super widescreen images that unfold forever. And it just feels like, almost like the people in them are like his toys to play with instead of like actual people. So it's this small humanist story told in a way that is like the entire opposite. (laughs) And yeah, no, it is... I didn't ever find it boring. I mostly found it frustrating. I have not seen Roma, and I'm I'm glad I haven't. I guess because you know I have Netflix, and it's a Netflix movie, so we should we should note that it's a interesting film because it came out on direct to Netflix. Um, I guess did they like technically put it in a theater or something like that, so it like could technically qualify for the Oscars or something like that? Yeah. They yeah. started a new a new release trend with Roma and a couple other films, like The Ballad of Buster Scruggs this year, where they played it in theaters for three weeks, actually, before it appeared on Netflix. But by played in theaters, that means it was in New York and L.A. Um, and I don't think it was even in Chicago until the week it was on Netflix. Yeah, and I, I, the best thing, I'm, I'm glad you told me this, because I've been like feeling like, oh, I should watch this, um, but I really just can't like just muster the the interest to watch it um but i will say this the the thing that i like most about it is that the um this is a very tenuous connection but just something kind of like sensory kind of ticked for me um the the like you know kind of uh movie poster image of like 
this family like looking like they're on the beach kind of like hugging each other i guess because it's a foreign film uh technically or foreign language film and it's showing people on a beach it just makes me think of uh, uh city of god um which is probably my favorite uh foreign foreign film ever um so that's so that's my my random uh, my random roma thought is that something about it vaguely <laughs> reminds me of um an actually good foreign film um so yeah jj if you have negative things to say about city of god you can just Ooh. get the f out of here uh and, and <laughs> I, find another box podcast to, to talk <laughs> movies on kane Pittman, follow me on twitter <laughs> Let me on your podcast. Ben Thompson, do you want to start a podcast? Um, no, uh, I'll, I'll just say that image of them on the beach is like the, the part of the movie that I think for most people sends them into sort of cinema euphoria or something where I found it to be like one of, I am a fan of the filmmaker Steven Spielberg who is accused of being exploitative in his sort of sentimental graspings at your sort of tear ducts and that that was like the most exploitative scene i have ever i'm not ever but the definitely the most exploitative scene i saw in a film last year the whole time i knew where it was going it's actually these two children who are um drowning <laughs> in the ocean what? outside of the frame uh and she saves them uh and then um yeah no it is uh it is done in this way that is so slow and you know where it's going and it just feels like terrorism, like emotional terrorism the entire time. I, I, so, would, yeah. I would challenge, I think the most exploitative moment in film last year was um, in Uncle Drew when you see Shaq's butt when he's in uh, <laughs> on the hospital. I mean, that's just, you know, I mean, that's just really kind of trying to, cheap thrills right i mean uh but you know exactly great film um <laughs> well, no while we're here you both have uncle drew takes i haven't seen it you both I, have uncle drew takes I, I would love well we were we, I, we were teasing this earlier because we were sharing like i mean i, I don't see that i see I, I like movies i see fewer movies now that i'm a washed dad um but i did see uncle drew on uh i guess hbo um recently and i was telling you guys i mean i don't actually particularly like sports movies. Um, I've seen shockingly few sports movies for somebody who likes movies and really likes sports. Um, like I was trying to think of like what basketball movies I've seen. And I think I like accidentally saw blue chips on FX once. Sure. And I've, I've never seen Hoosiers and he I got game. Remember. Have you seen it? Uh, no, I've never seen he got game. Wow. So I, you only I did see, see sports movies if Shaquille O'Neal is in basically, that. basically, is that what is happening? basically, yeah, yeah. Um, anything because you know, uh, Kazam adjacent, I'll, I'll watch. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then I did finally see White Men Can't Jump, um, like a few months ago as well, which you know I felt kind of guilty about because like being a Marcus Johnson fan, I felt like oh I have to, I have to actually like watch watch this. Um, and then by the time I turned it on, though, it was after Marcus was in it. So oh. I didn't even see the part with Marcus in it. And I was just, I kept waiting for him to come back. And like, he just doesn't come back. Um, so that was his point. He steals I one just, scene and then he's gone. But, um, and I would just, and I would just generally say that Woody Harrelson was so freaking annoying in that movie. Like, I just wanted to like punch him half the movie. Like, I was just like, I, I mean, it was like entertaining, but 
I don't know the the Woody Harrelson character. I mean, I guess the you don't become a guy running from you know gangsters uh, because you're you know smart. Um, I was just going to try to do a Rosie Perez Billy, you idiot, and I decided against it because I don't have it in me. me. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, Rosie Perez is likable, yeah. um, but uh, but yeah, when he when he like puts all the money on the line or whatever to like and says like I can dunk or whatever. What do you, what? Like, you know, Nick, they go to that little, <laughs> yeah. anyway, anyway. Okay. Uh, back to, back to start. But yes, I, um, I actually found uncle drew to be totally likable. And I, I mean, it was like very paint by numbers. Right. I mean, there's like nothing shocking about it. You can predict what's going to happen, you know, a couple, couple scenes in advance, but um, it was totally enjoyable. And I was like shocked that a movie that is basically all former NBA players is the primary cast members. Um, is actually like pulls itself off and i mean obviously they're not exactly uh you know demanding uh, uh big stretch roles or you know crazy things from them it's all pretty you know corny cheesy stuff but um and and the fact that i liked it despite the fact that i dislike most of the characters most of the real life players uh now that they're commentators specifically chris weber and reggie miller um chris weber totally pulled off this role as the uh, preacher guy and um you know, there were some there were some heartstrings tugged at times, and Nick Kroll, who Eric, you and I like a lot, um, Love, yes. he's he's maybe not his his greatest role <laughs> as the uh, villain, but uh, you know, he was fine. And um, so, this is a real thing, really quickly. Uh, I run a critics poll of grad students at Madison, and uh, Nick Kroll was on my <laughs> best supporting actor ballot <laughs> this year for his role <laughs> in Uncle Drew. Uh, a wonderful sort of amalgamation of all the greatest Nick Kroll characters, mostly Bobby, Bobby Bottle Service, but yes, no, he's amazing in this it, movie. It, it felt like it should have been mostly Bobby Bottle Service, but then it there were like a couple moments where he was like skewering into Fabrice Fabrice. Uh-huh. Uh, the name's so nice, you have to say it again. Um, <laughs> that uh, that I probably enjoyed the most. Because like he looks like he's going to go Bobby Bottle Service, but then he's not. Um, yeah, and it there's looked like there could have been a little bit of like uh, Caesar, you know, the the crappy, uh, you know, single dad character who I yep. probably was my least favorite Kroll show like primary character. But uh, anyway, mm. yeah, but uh, the, the the dance scene really enjoyed the dance scene. I think I actually laughed out loud uh, in enjoyment at the dance scene, which was again very predictable. Um, the only my only complaint <laughs> my only complaint about Uncle Drew was. <laughs> did they have to make Nate Robinson like in a wheelchair? Like, like I, I realize that they are saying these guys like go from, you know, being old men to like, like stretching <laughs> to being able to play basketball. But like, are we really going to make the leap from Nate Robinson being basically a catatonic guy in a wheelchair to a five foot eight guy dunking in basketball games? I mean, maybe, maybe not quite that big of a leap. I was, I was, they, they, I think they got to that last, so you know they had me. They had me one over, so I, I didn't have to stretch as much. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a totally you know mindless, enjoyable. It's like a you know like a it would have been a good like movie on a plane, like a really really long plane flight where you can watch multiple movies. It would have been totally good for that, and I didn't regret my time uh, watching it uh, at home. It's one hundred percent my favorite movie um, produced by the Pepsi Company. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I feel pretty safe in saying that. Yeah, there's one crow line I think about every single day because if you've seen the Uncle Drew ads, you know it's Kyrie Irving in old man makeup. 
and all the other NBA players who are also like already old also get old man makeup. Sure. <laughs> so like Shaq and Chris Weber and Reggie Miller and Nate Robinson all have old man makeup. And uh, Nick Kroll's team is like trouncing them in the early going of the sort of final game of this tournament. And at one point, Kroll just goes, old people are overrated. <laughs> and I think about it every single day. <laughs> every day I come back to that line and laugh a little bit. That and also uh, because not only is this a film that's product placement for the Pepsi company, there's also one point where Kroll is like on a gas station screen and says, Aleve, number one painkiller in the game. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> fully on the wavelength of whatever he's doing in this nightmare movie that is somehow real and also kind of good man i don't know if you're gonna hear a stronger endorsement on this podcast of a film than that right there um okay uncle drew my my other my way my one other critique i feel like the 850th time that uh kyrie irving went to calling someone young blood was just a little bit too much like okay I get it. Young blood, kind of funny that an old person would call somebody that, but like, so they needed a, th- a thesaurus of like, you know, old man slang. I, th- that that one kind of just like stuck out at me. Also, Kyrie Irving is like, I mean, I can't think of an NBA player who I like am less interested in hearing talk than Kyrie Irving at oh this my point. Gosh. And the fact that even now I could watch that movie, you know, like a couple weeks ago and immerse myself in Kyrie as old drew and like just not like hate him as a character i mean uh clearly he he, you know screen actors guild where you at you know i mean as far (laughs) as really kind of papering over his his true self his true annoying self um that was uh that was before we started jj actually said the exact same thing yep I think uh, Uncle Drew is definitely the strongest argument that whatever dumb thing Kyrie Irving is doing is actually performance art. <laughs> like the Probably, moon thing yeah. is an act, something something along those lines. But yeah, SAG Awards, best ensemble, should have been Uncle Drew. <laughs> Where were you guys? <laughs> um, okay, let's go back to uh, best picture nominees. Good movies? <laughs> Good movies. You, you, well, I mean, according to you guys, Uncle Drew, not bad. So maybe that would fall in there as well. Um, okay, let's go to best picture nominees. You saw Frank. Uh, you saw Black Panther and Black Klansman. Do you want to talk to me about both of those? Well, it feels weird that I only saw Black Klansman and Black Panther. There, I, I, you know, are, are there any other uh, like I? I guess Black Mirror is a TV show. I have not seen that. <laughs> you only um, see movies but... that either star Shaquille O'Neal or have black in the <laughs> exactly. title. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Black Rain, my favorite 1980s um, Michael Douglas movie. I think that's a Michael If Douglas you haven't seen um, Black Narcissus, that's, oh my God, that's the best movie. Is that, is that, is that it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's totally random. I, I wanted to see First Man, which was not nominated for the longest time. I kept like trying to persuade my wife to rent it uh, at home. And she just like kept saying it would like it would give her anxiety or something. Um, so we we didn't watch that. Um, but that was I, I I keep I think that's been nominated for some things like sound editing or something like that. I really wanted to see that. I don't know if JJ if you saw that. But I did. Yeah. Black Panther. Yeah. Black Panther. Was was good. I enjoy the Avengers. You know, Marvel movies. Was it you know that much better than the other ones? I don't know. I mean, like as far as just enjoyment factor. Um, I it was good. It was fine. Whatever. Um, I, I I have to say I like the thing I probably like least about Black Panther is like I didn't find um, what's his name whatever 
the Black Panther's real name is. Really, that like in, I don't like find him that interesting as a character. Like he's not like particularly funny or like I don't know. You just don't find him that interesting. His younger sister I found really funny. Mm-hmm. She was probably my favorite character in the movie. Um, and whatever, I guess Michael B. Jordan is fine. I didn't really understand why he was so like he seemed really violent for my taste. I don't really understand why he was like that. That was, that was kind of my, my, my struggle there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a fun big blockbuster, whatever. I think I will say this. I think I don't, I think the bar is too high for kind of, you know, big action movies, <laughs> mission impossible fallout. Um, I think we need more. I think we need more of those like big kind of movies in kind of Oscar consideration. Um, and I like, you know, I think the common one is always like, like, you know, and I think part of what inspired maybe uh, the Oscars going to this expanded format was like the Dark Knight not getting, mm-hmm. you know, any, any, any kind of Oscar best picture buzz, you know, years ago when that came out. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was fine. Um, Black Klansman, entertaining. Um, would I think it, you know, is an Oscar contender? No, um, but I liked it. It was good. Um it's interesting like how uh uh denzel washington's son sounds you can like hear hear his voice hear denzel's voice in his voice although when he's doing his like um you know uh what's it i forget the name of the character ron stallworth is that the guy's name in the movie Mm. uh when he's doing his like white guy voice then it's like weird because then it's like wait it sounds kind of like denzel washington doing like a lame white guy like what (laughs) um but uh but yeah it was a good movie um enjoyable um i think i like the equalizer (laughs) 2 equalizer 2 more (laughs) in terms of the washington family films from last year and i'm not even joking i i genuinely enjoyed the equalizer 2 uh especially after watching all the marvel movies where people like don't want to kill other people um it was kind of enjoyable just to see denzel washington like you know just straight up killing bad guys left and right but um anyway that's that's my that's my like quick tangent since i really didn't love any of the Oscar movies that I saw. I'm, uh, I'm trying to find excuses to talk about the Equalizer too, um, but I, I would have liked to see more. I just uh, it just it just didn't happen. Okay, JJ, hit me with Black Panther thoughts and Black Klansman thoughts. I need to hit you with the Equalizer two thoughts. I need to go to see that. Please That's do. my homework. No, I did. I did not see Equalizer two, but I will. I will check it out after I see Equalizer one. Um, also good. Also good. It, it's sort of like a Godfather, Godfather two type. Like, was the second one better than the first? Maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I, I liked Black Panther. Uh, I, I guess when I said I only liked two of the Best Picture nominees, I meant I only like really, really like fell for two of the nominees. Black Panther is is fine. It, it's a it's a Marvel movie. It has some interesting ideas. I think uh, I think some of the ideas with Michael B. Jordan's character are more interesting on paper. I actually didn't love the Michael B. Jordan performance, who I, I generally like really like quite a bit. I think part of the problem is they kill. Um, this is not a spoiler. It happens very early. They kill Sterling K. Brown's character very early. And I think he's the more interesting, conflicted character, um, and I'd like to see more of more of that. Um, we always, we always want to are... see more Sterling Brown uh, on, yes, on the Lockdown Books podcast. I mean, lock, lock, <laughs> yes. Lockdown Sterling Brown. Who doesn't want more of that? Yeah, for sure, confirmed Sterling. <laughs> exactly. So that makes a lot of sense. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, I just you had Sterling K. Brown in the corner and you took him out. What are you doing? <laughs> Keep him there. He's gonna hit it uh, at least early in the season. Maybe that's why they took him out. They didn't want to see a regression. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, Thank God I can say this. this is the only place where I can say that and like more than five people will understand their <laughs> two Sterling Browns. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's totally fine. Uh, Frank, bringing up Mission Impossible Fallout and probably even the Equalizer 2 is like, I think a really good thing to bring up because the Marvel movies, whatever their merits are, I think their action is almost like uniformly bad or boring um and black panther especially ends i think with that train fight which is some of like i cannot believe a movie that expensive has cg that looks that sort of cheap um although like a bunch of the other stuff in the world is like really really awesome i think they ran out of money at the end maybe or ran out of time but yeah i these action movies should have good action and fallout is something that would have been so cool to see uh on this list but of course uh snubbed uh as was tom cruise black klansman was a movie i was okay with for the most part i love spike lee foundational filmmaker has like informed so much of what i think about like how i think about movies and is this his first best picture now this is his first Best Picture nomination um, and his first, his first director nom. Um, he was nominated uh, once before for, I think he was nominated for, let me confirm this before I, I say something that is wrong. Screenplay or yes, something? he was nominated uh, for the screenplay for Do the Right Thing. Um, that's it for what is probably, uh, in my opinion, like the most important American film of the last uh 30 years um and then he was nominated for um for little girls his documentary in 1998 um but yeah i mean i think with that movie like is that about the warriors uh, all-stars what was that movie about (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm getting very i'm very bitter about the about the warriors right now um to say the four warriors are all-stars uh draymond green steph curry clay thompson and Giannis (laughs) Antetokounmpo. Are those? Are hey, those Kane Pitt, I'll, um, I'll give you Kane Pittman's email address because you're you're not coming back here, brother. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's not what it's about. It's actually really sad. Uh, it's about the bombing in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, that's also uh, in the film Selma. But yeah, you could just kind um, of skip that. You didn't have to like totally, <laughs> totally like make. That no, I had to bring it back worse. so I didn't. So I didn't seem like the villain oh, okay. for saying Giannis is going to the Warriors. Um, but um, no, um, I'm happy to see him nominated. I found the film to, to be confused um, politically in a way that um, showed that Spike Lee is 30 years older than he was when he made Do the Right Thing. Uh, and it uses some actuality footage at the end um, from uh, Charlottesville. Uh, that, that was uh, yeah, it was kind of weird. It yeah, it just it left a bad taste in my mouth because I felt like the film before it didn't quite earn like literally showing someone in real life dying on screen because that is what it showed. Um, but there's a lot of of fun things. I mean, John David Washington's really fun. Uh, Adam Driver's great in the movie. My boy Topher Grace is great as the leader of the KKK. Um, but yeah, I think. 
Topher was so sort of disturbed by doing that, that he's, his next role is in like a uh, Christian film about someone going to heaven when they fall under ice or something. So he's <laughs> repenting for, for the film already. Um, but yeah, I found those two to be like, I, I am happy in a way. I think the people who made them are, are talented people who I find interesting, but neither of them really grabbed me. They're certainly I, not Green Book. Like they're not actively detestable <laughs> or anything like that. I was gonna say with both of them, like I feel like there's enjoyable things in both, but as far as like cohesive films that you're just like, yes, that's of course a Best Picture nominee. I don't, I didn't see that with either Black Panther or Black Panther. Not to say, like I said, I didn't enjoy them, but it just didn't feel like, I don't know, like what you think of when you think of a best picture. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of this year in, in general, like cohesion is not something the Oscars seem to be looking for if they're nominating Bohemian Rhapsody. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Can you, can you just go ahead and flamethrow Bohemian Rhapsody and Green oh. for me real quick? I think you want to get both of them. So you can just take it all out in one one swoop well i've just had like uh i keep having this problem where i keep tweeting about bohemian rhapsody and they're the only tweets of mine that like more than five people touch and give me notifications and then i get a wider audience of people yell at me about not enjoying it because queen is good or something but like bohemian rhapsody i want to say this in a way that i don't get sued or get you guys sued but like it's directed by a literal monster like, if you haven't, uh, check out the piece about Brian Singer in The Atlantic that was published recently. Um, this is news that people have known for quite some time. I remember reading about him in Gawker uh, in high school. And uh, I just think everybody working with him on this film, that also sucks. <laughs> like, it sucks so much. <laughs> uh, it's like a bloated biopic directed by, yeah, like a, an actual monster. Uh, okay, and so I saw some clip on Twitter that had, I think, yes, the like editing 50, clip. 50 cuts in, I don't even know how, like maybe two minutes. Is it that extreme? Like, I watched that scene and I was like sick to my stomach. Not because, well, I mean, one, it was so bad, but also it moved and cut on a conversation at a table. 50 yeah. times in two minutes. It, it didn't make any sense. Well, one of the problems with, um, not with Brian Singer is that not only is he like a literal monster, but um, he's also incredibly lazy and he didn't get fired because of uh, all the accusations that were bubbling beneath the surface. He got fired because he just kept coming late to work and not doing his job. So when you have someone like that, who's fired uh, like, past halfway through the movie who hasn't been doing a great job, it becomes a challenge to edit something interesting and cohesive uh, out of it. So yeah, then you just get cut as many times as you can. There's another clip that you might find that's going around the internet that is just as uh, like funny uh, in a different way uh, where uh, I believe it's when I think it's, I can't remember which song he's writing Freddie Mercury played by Rami Malek, who is probably going to win best actor in a year with Jackson Maine. And it makes no sense to me. Um, but Rami Malek, I think he's writing Bohemian Rhapsody, the song, and he's like at his pen and paper and pauses and goes, that's really good. And then he just keeps <laughs> writing more and more. Like this is an actual thing in a best picture nominated film. He writes the song and goes, Oh wow. That's really good. Well, I don't, I don't know what your creative processes are like, but I mean, that's that's pretty much my my 
out loud monologue <laughs> yeah. whenever I hit send on a tweet. So um, that's exactly yeah. It. I mean, each their own. Fine, you know. Like, you figure out the cap situation, and you're like, wow. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like maybe you guys just don't appreciate, you know, excellence, hashtag strive for greatness the way I do. But, um, you know, again, you do you. Green Book is the other movie you brought up. I, I have like, I mean, Green Book is a heavily problematic film. I have a problematic relationship to the movie because... I think it has a lot of like surface level like oddity and like just super super weird like go for brokenness that like sometimes I find myself being like wow that was like really strange and kind of funny and maybe a little bit fun and then as soon as you step back and think about how like they took this story about a gay black man and made it about this white guy who is racist and learns that being racist is bad and then didn't really consult the family of the gay black man and uh, instead said these two are best friends and now the whole family is upset about it. And people keep turning to Mahershala Ali, like the most well-known sort of non-white person uh, involved in the production and asking him to justify it. And then you're like, whoa, this movie uh, is nuts. But also it's a movie where Viggo Mortensen folds an entire pizza in half and takes a bed out of it in bed with his gut out. So I don't know. There's, there's something super, super strange. And like, I mean, it's all caricatures and uh, it, it also really sucks. But um, <laughs> there's at least something about it that like, while you're watching it, you're just like, what? Like what are what is Vigo Mortensen doing? And Mahershala Ali's a pro; he's amazing. So yeah, Green Book, I, I, it deserves all the vitriol in the world. But I do find myself like muttering, much like old people are overrated from Uncle Drew. Something one of the many strange sort of things that Vigo Mortensen says in that film. Okay. Uh, let's move on to a movie. Actually, just wait. I'm trying to think if there's something else you detest in the best picture of the year. Um, Vice? Do you I detest think, Vice? Vice is just like such a nothing. I don't even want to talk about it. Okay, then we won't. Um, so, <laughs> what an annoying movie. That's it. Okay. Out of the K, go back to Step Brothers, please. I think that is perfect. Okay, so the final three then, A Star is Born, The Favorite, and, oh no, just final two. We talked about the rest. Yeah, just um, so a star is born and the favorite uh, two movies that I've actually seen, and I've told you this story, JJ, but I will enlighten our viewers. Um, as people may know, uh, my job allows for me to watch movies during the day um, and just go solo. So I a lot of times I'll I'll find a five dollar Tuesday. Shout out Marcus Cinemas um, and go for five bucks on like Tuesday at like 10 a.m. That'll be like my movie time where I'll go to a movie. And I did that this past year with The Favorite. And so there's uh, The Favorite and then uh, what is the Scott's uh, Mary... Do I have that right? Mary, Mary Queen, Queen of Scots. Scots. Yes. So they're both period pieces. One of them is super serious. The other is a dark comedy. The favorite is the dark comedy. And I watched it with, I would say, I think it was seven to 10 women, 60 years and older. Like, cause those are the people that go to a movie on a Tuesday. And as you know, JJ, very quickly in the movie, 
you find out that this is a dark comedy and they make it very clear with Emma Stone's character. Literally, as you're introduced to her, you're like, okay, yeah, this is supposed to be funny. And all of these old women were expecting this very serious period piece and could not have been more disappointed throughout all of it. So I'm the only person laughing at any of the jokes. So I feel like I didn't get to experience this with uh, a group of people that understood what they were watching. What is it like to actually watch that movie with a group of people that know that they're watching a dark comedy? I wish I could tell you that because I've, I've seen it with maybe two other people with me who know that that's what they're getting into. (laughs) But uh, no, the people I usually take are like, I've I've seen this film three times now. I I loved it. Um, And uh, no, I I've had this problem in general. I don't know if you guys have had this with other films too. Films that I think are super, super funny and just no one laughs at them. (laughs) I hated it. It was really uncomfortable. I felt like a bad person for laughing at spots. I knew I should be laughing. That's how I finally got to see, to bring it back to my other podcast appearance, I finally got to see Eyes Wide Shut in a theater, which I think is a very funny film. And maybe that one's a little bit weirder that I think it's as funny as it is. But again, no one was laughing besides the other two people I went with. Um, But yeah, The Favorite is one of those films that it's like, it feels insane that it's not only a Best Picture nominee, but a... 10-time Oscar nominee. It's nominated for 10 separate Oscar Oscars when it's like so weird, so dark, not the normal period piece that you would be expecting. It's not Mary Queen of Scots. It's not the Queen. It's not anything like that. It's not the Crown. Um, and yeah, it's it's totally it's totally totally strange and like extremely messed up. Yes, and there's just like great performances all over it. Like I. Mm-hmm. Like all three of the women that are a big part of the movie are fantastic. Yeah, they are. And uh, Nicholas Holt also is yes. uh, particularly amazing. And I need to, because I, I have to do this every time I talk about the movie, I need to give justice to Horatio the Duck, <laughs> who is my favorite performance in the film. He's the finest racing duck in town. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's probably my f- single favorite screenplay of the year. Um, it's full of like, just like so many funny sort of put downs um, delivered perfectly by Rachel Weiss um, and real narrative arcs for all, all three of the characters. I think one of the things I love about it, and I don't think this is too spoilery uh, is that no one has a happy ending. No. <laughs> like even one of the characters definitely gets what they want and uh, she's miserable at the end as is everybody else, um, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed quite a bit. Any, any, I guess that's actually my uniting sort of factor in the best picture nominees I liked. Both of them have uh, tragic endings, The Favorite and A Star is Born. Yeah, uh, like you said, Rachel Weisz, uh, Emma Stone, Olivia Colman, all fantastic in it. And I, mm-hmm. if any of those three were not good, it wouldn't be like the same movie, but all three are just... Right, there'd be a real power imbalance. And the great thing is like all of them have different types of power, but are equally compelling on screen. Yeah, and all three totally stepped up to the plate. Okay, let's go to A Star is Born. Um, Frank, how did you not see this movie? How did you let us down? I, I, we, My wife and I both wanted to see A Star is Born, um, but it just it just didn't happen because we have a one-year-old child and just, you know, you just have to make make choices. And I don't know, yeah, we just never, uh, we just never got around to it. We kept thinking we might. And, um, you know, we're both Lady Gaga fans. Uh, we both 
like Bradley Cooper well enough. Um, but uh, yeah, just didn't happen. So, and then on Bill Simmons' podcast the other day, like a major plot point was spoiled for me. So I feel like that that also no uh, was disappointing. Uh-oh. So, um, so I yeah, so I have not seen it, but I still would like to see it. Uh, although I w- I'll say this, um, my my only Star is Born thought is um, I'm I'm a big SNL fan. I you know watch at least on DVR every week, uh, and um, what's her name? Um, Melissa Villasenor. Melissa Villasenor. It's kind of weird, actually. Speaking of the Ringer, um, I, they had like a podcast last last year. I think it was like someone, one of their culture people, and like Bill Simmons, and they were like talking about like who from the current cast, like oh, like you know, you would like keep or whatever. And they picked like three or four people, and one of them was her. And I was just like, she's been in like two sketches. Like she's actually like shows up randomly a lot more often now. But like, I feel like in terms of like you know batting average, she's like you know, like a pinch hitter who like has barely registered much and maybe yes. that's controversial, but I mean, her Lady Gaga impression that she's been doing in the last couple of weeks has been, oh, yeah, it's like kind of funny and she actually seems like she can sing. Um, but I'm almost like annoyed because like, I feel like most of senior is like, apparently there are a lot of people who like really want to think that she's good. And I just like, I think the only sketches I really like from her were the ones where she's uh, in bed with her like boyfriend or husband or whatever. And she starts like saying yes. really, really weird inappropriate um like pillow talk stuff but other than that i think she just like doesn't really bring much at all and should never have been promoted to like uh you know main main player or whatever the the name is for that but anyway that's that's she is no kate mckinnon that's she very is clear. she is i mean not even not not she's not 80 bryant she's not cecily strong no. uh she's not in that in that class what heidi gardner she's she's good i like her a lot more too i think that's her name right the kind of yeah, call yeah, yeah okay anyway that those are my stars for now you guys <laughs> can actually, totally now you guys can actually I, talk about the movie well now i now i have marissa via senior thoughts i have to let's share. hear them I'm, am i did uh, i miss something no i think you're maybe you are missing something that would make you enjoy her less perhaps she has a weird voice her one incredible her one incredible impression is owen wilson Interesting. she does a, wow. an amazing owen wow. wilson impression wow. yeah uh, she has a really this weird old voice clip she does. I mean, she has an Owen Wilson yeah. voice that like leads naturally into it. But she has a an Owen Wilson clip where she reads like uh, the night before Christmas, and it is it is so funny. But every single one of her impressions, and also just when she talks, I only hear Owen Wilson. <laughs> so I don't know if she's actually funny or if any of the other impressions are good because I hear Owen Wilson every single time. No, that makes total sense. Um, and yeah, I would say her Gaga is like, eh, it's okay. Um, not that a Lady Gaga impression is particularly easy, so I'm not trying to say that, uh, but yeah, eh, I'm okay with it. It's, yeah, it's fine. Um, okay. So a star is born. Um, I remember texting you immediately after seeing it, JJ and telling you how much I enjoyed it and hoping that I was not some sappy idiot that should not have enjoyed it as much as I did and not fallen for uh, these larger uh, musical set pieces where I just sort of fell in love with the movie and you confirmed to me that I was okay to feel that way. So that first that helped a lot. Um, But I, I will say like actually there's a scene in the film. It's literally the first movie, the first scene of like a concert where it is just Bradley Cooper's character, Jackson Maine, and it is just Jackson Maine. It's no Lady Gaga. And 
that scene just blows my mind because it's filmed in this kind of warped way that tries to get you into Jackson Maine's like drunk, m- like messed up mind. And it kind of, I don't even like, I don't know what they're doing with the lenses, but it messes with your head. Like I, I thought it was real. I thought like that scene when I saw it to start the movie, I was like, okay, I think, I think this might actually be good. And it ended up being very good. Yeah. It's what it, that, that first scene I had like the, the exact same experience where I was one of those people. I was not, uh, maybe this is why I'm not a ringer staff writer. I, I did not love the trailer. <laughs> I was not obsessed with it. I was so tired of the memes by like the fourth one. And uh, so I, I went in very skeptical of, of the film. I don't have like a real attachment to Lady Gaga. I think Bradley Cooper's best when he's uh, the raccoon in the comic book movies. Uh, by the way, and- for the life of me, I... The idea of paying these super big stars to do voices that, like, they really aren't, I mean, there's no, like, reason to have them do the voices. Like, like how much is Vin Diesel getting paid to do Groot in, in oh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Like, you don't need to pay Vin Diesel that. Nobody's going to see that movie because of Vin Man, Diesel. I really love Vin Diesel's Groot. Saying, <laughs> I gotta saying, see it. Saying Groot. He is Groot. <laughs> Um, he really is. Um, and likewise, um, like were people saying like, oh man, oh sweet. You know, like when you first saw the movie where it was everybody like, oh sweet. They got Bradley Cooper to do the, uh, you know, <laughs> sassy raccoon that is anthropomorphic. I mean, I'm guessing it's also large... not even his voice at all. No, it's like he's a totally doing different some, voice. He's doing, and some it's great, weird, but... he's doing some weird voice. I'm just like, couldn't you save money and like. I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's it's just that that's just kind of weird to me. I I get it more in like animated movies where it's like you know you can you, you don't have real human beings or whatever. But I feel like that movie had enough famous people in it. Like, did they they need to get Bradley Cooper? That's the voice of Raccoon. Anyway, I like the movies, um, but now I'll retreat into the background as you guys talk about the actual movie that we were talking about. <laughs> But yeah, no, that first scene, uh, it, it uses these extremely sort of wide-angle lenses, which people sometimes call fisheye lenses, uh, that distort like the edge of the frame. There are a ton of lens flares, like the, the sort of lights look strange, they're refracted. Uh, and like Cooper is just shredding up there and looks so out of control, but also the song is really, really doing it. And yeah, I was like in the pocket then, but what really got me in was the scene that follows that where uh, instantly we get him off stage, a little bit of the, the sweet guitar lick keeps going. Uh, he, he, he walks into his limo and shuts the door and just all the sort of crowd noise around him like becomes extremely muffled, can't hear it. All these sort of bodies are detached. The sort of high from being on stage is gone. And then he just drinks like two full bottles of liquor in the back of the car. And right away I'm like, okay, this movie is, it's working on a level of melodrama. It's only going to hit those sort of highs throughout, uh, but it's doing it in a way that feels novel and weird and actually lived in too. I mean, Cooper um, has spoken quite a bit about his own sort of former struggles with addiction uh and yeah i just the movie it has things that should be unbelievable the big scene when they perform shallow that song you've heard every time you go to the mall or step into target um 
it's amazing and it makes no sense. Like Cooper hears her hum a little bit of the song earlier uh, that morning. And then by that night, he has like an incredible arrangement prepared <laughs> that's going to win an Oscar on Sunday. Um, and they sing together perfectly on stage. And yet I, I believed it. I yep. believed like every moment of this incredibly like over the top film. Uh, and a lot of that I think is like, I guess Bradley Cooper's an incredible director <laughs> because if you've seen um, him and Gaga perform the song at her Las Vegas residency, or you've seen Gaga do the song at the Grammys, like it's nowhere near as good. <laughs> like in the movie, it's incredible. Um, uh, there's some sort of weird magic working throughout. Yeah. I'd, that this, like the scene of shallow, like that, that it just hits, it works. Like it doesn't, it, I should I should not be thinking that oh man can can this girl who's very clearly Lady Gaga can she actually can she actually sing right. this like I, I'm like my my disbelief is like oh man I don't know if she's gonna be able to do it like this is gonna be really tough all while knowing that's Lady Gaga I can see that that's Lady Gaga of course she can do this but I still like was totally bought in and yes it's I I thought just just fantastic it's it's a great movie i know you enjoy the uh uh the backing out of the driveway that's one of your favorite uh I, is that your favorite scene of the entire oh, of course that's the that's the good meme that's the good meme too no i my favorite scene i think is uh a uh, spoiler so i cannot i cannot say it let's just say when the the first meme that circulated the uh i just want to get another look at you when that comes back and its meaning is altered, and you feel bad for laughing at any of the memes. That's when. That's when I. That's my favorite yeah, that, scene in the film. I'm that that makes a lot of sense. Indian. Sam Elliott is the person in that, and he is fantastic oh. in the, his supporting role. Um, he's so good. Okay, let's yeah, get let's great. hit some movies that are not Best Picture noms. Um, one that we've all seen, I believe. Frank, you've seen it, right? Into the Spider Verse. You've seen that. Uh, we've already talked about it on this podcast just briefly. Uh, but JJ, your thoughts on Into the Spider-Verse? It was great. It, we finally have one of these uh, computer cartoon movies that looks interesting uh, and does a bunch of stuff that people have been doing in hand-drawn animation forever and makes it look super cool. And honestly, all of these superhero movies should be animated because you can actually make it feel like a comic book instead of feeling like it was shot on a tarmac in Atlanta, <laughs> like the Avengers movies feel and are shot on. Um, but no, it just like it, it did everything. Uh, one of the parts of my personality I try to hide from people is that All I, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything. <laughs> um, one of the things is I, I do read comics quite a bit, uh, despite not liking most of the comic book movies. And uh, not because I'm like some weird guy who's like, Spider-Man's got to be this way or something, but uh, they're just not like colorful enough. And this one is so colorful throughout, filled with like so many fun performances. Um, and then like a, a really strong emotional through line too. Like the work Shamik Moore and Mahershala Ali and Brian Tyree Henry do in this movie and Jake Johnson as well uh, as uh, Chunky Spider-Man. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an incredibly funny film, uh, but also like I found it to be pretty deeply moving as well. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I mentioned this when we talked about it briefly, but I thought um, like the relationship between um, uh, like, wait, what, oh God, what, Miles? Yeah, Miles. Miles. What's Miles' last, what's Miles' last name again? Morales. Ma- Morales. Morales. Miles Morales and his dad, who's, you know, a police officer and, and very protective. Um, I thought that the relate, that relationship was to me kind of like the most important sort of like through line of the whole movie. Um and I, I I feel like that's something that you know for like for me I I just generally don't watch animated movies I've never seen The Lion King or Aladdin or pretty much any Disney movie since The Little Mermaid and I've never seen any of the like Pixar movies um, any of I them I did see the no, no I've never seen any of them so all you have um, to watch is Ratatouille out. it's okay that's it <laughs> well it's gonna work out because I'll have to watch them since I have a daughter now True. Um, so when she's like old enough to start i guess grasping you know films um then i'll watch them and it'll be, it'll be new to me that's so, be so awesome uh, so i cannot it, wait for you to text me about all of them because i assume by that point we won't be doing this podcast anymore um no so yeah it'll be over at, but at that point you can text me and i can talk to you about all those movies i'm, I'm very excited yeah well, is the podcast the ending because you're gonna do lockdown warriors to continue covering <laughs> oh, i was gonna make that joke <laughs> i was gonna say that the bucks are gonna go to the finals and then i'm gonna leave for for the warriors um but uh no get great minds jj um <laughs> But uh, but no, with with, with into the Spider Verse, I mean, because uh, Eric, you saw it and you loved it, and mm-hmm. so I was like, um, my my actually my wife and daughter, ironically, were out of town um, two weekends ago, and so I, I just like, oh, I'll I'll go see a movie by myself, I guess, and yeah, that seems like something I can do. Um, by the way, the only other movies I've ever seen by myself, even though uh, we talked about this, Eric, I think movies are definitely a very good like by yourself activity because it's a fundamentally antisocial yep. activity. Like mm-hmm. you're just sitting in a dark <laughs> theater, not talking to people. Um, but uh, the only other movies that I'd seen by myself were uh, I saw The Matrix for the second time in 1999 at the Rivoli in Cedarburg. Uh, if people are familiar with <laughs> the North Shore, um, I saw it originally at the, the Marcus North Shore, like right, like the weekend it came out, loved it, and then eventually later saw it. Um, at the Rivoli, like I think maybe that was the third time I saw it. But anyway, I just like went by myself like that summer, um, and then uh, I saw the um, wait. What did? No, it was not the Dark Knight. It was um, what was the last Batman? Dark Knight Rises. Rises. Yeah, I saw that one in. Uh, that must have been. Or was that 12? the one that came out in 2012? Um, yeah. I saw. I saw one. Whichever one came out in the summer 2012, I saw that because I was um, working on a project in like the middle of nowhere, California. And I was by myself over a weekend. I was staying there over the weekend and uh, I was just like, you know, like feeling very pathetic. And I was just like, screw it. I'm going to go see this movie. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, but yeah, so I saw Into the Spider-Verse and um, I went on with an open mind and uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it just had like a humanity to it. And that's what I don't generally like about cartoons. Like, I just don't like the fact that you can't see people, see their eyes, see the way that they're you know, emoting. And I don't know, like I just prefer seeing actual people. And I mean, I, I watched cartoons as a kid, so it's not like I have been, you know, like, you know, I was some kid with like a beret saying like, Oh, these cartoons suck. You know, like I wasn't like that, that like, <laughs> this is not real. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it was, it was great. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the, uh, I think JJ was alluding to, I don't know what the, process was for how they made it but it looked cool um and um i yeah i mean like the it was funny it was humorous it had great heart um it was interesting obviously the 
you know, general conceit of the film with these sort of like parallel dimension Spider-Men um, and spider hams um, was, uh, was interesting or spider pigs voiced by John Mulaney, who, uh, you know, once again, sort of tiptoeing into the, the Nick Kroll comedic universe with John mm-hmm. Mulaney. Um, it was just really enjoyable. And um, yeah, I thought it was great. And uh, I, I have nothing really to add to it other than the one thing I, I think we talked about, I forget if we talked about it on the, on the podcast, Eric, but I didn't see why Kingpin had to be like weirdly enormous. Um, Cause I feel like people would just be like, yeah, that guy's probably a bad guy. Um, if you look <laughs> like that, uh, like if you're, you know, like a 3000 pound, um, enormous hunchbacked, uh, person. Um, is that, by the way, is that supposed to be Wilson Fisk? Is that the same character? Yep. Okay. Cause like, I'm also used to, I enjoyed Netflix's daredevil, um, rest in peace to all the Netflix Marvel shows, which are now officially all dead. Um, but yeah, I liked uh, Vincent. I don't love Vincent D'Onofrio, but I enjoyed Daredevil, and he was pretty good uh, in that movie. So I'm like, or such show. So I'm also like used to like sort of a normal, normal human version mm-hmm. of that character. Um, so anyway, so that that with that little nitpick um, aside, I just generally found it. Uh, yeah, it was great. It was novel, interesting, and um, uh, you know. Will, would watch again i guess um at some point when my daughter i guess maybe if she's ever interested in that type of film uh, comic book movie maybe we, we'll check that out and by the way um i also read some comics as a kid uh, when i was pretty young and uh one thing i remember in second grade uh it was like national like dental month or something like that and um we had to write acrostic poems about uh dentistry and i won first place and I got a uh, Spider-Man comic book, and I remember Doctor Oct was somehow involved, and I also got um, two free passes to the uh, local theater. And this was when my family and I we were living in Germany, and uh, we, uh, my my sister and I, immediately that weekend went to see uh, Police Academy Five. So uh, there wow. you go. That's some early early cinematic memories of uh, of me from my childhood. <laughs> that is quite a tale. Yeah. Wow. There's that's, so that's much incredible. there. I'm actually I'm actually curious now because yeah, I was just about to say like I wonder when that came out. It must have been 88 or 89 or something like that because that's when I was I was in second grade I think in 88. And uh yeah, it came out in March of 1988 is when Police yep. Academy 5 Assignment Miami Beach. That's uh, wow. This is all incredible. This is quite a revelation from you. Speaking of like Godfather level uh, sequels, Police Academy Five definitely in, uh, in that uh, in that level. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say uh, I've uh, adored Into the Spider Verse. I called it my favorite movie of 2018 before seeing uh, If Beale Street Can Talk. Oh. So like that was probably a mistake. Um, but, you know, If Beale Street Can Talk probably takes it. But either way, we can talk about that here in a second because uh, that was one of the last movies I wanted to hit on. But yeah, I thought Into the Spider-Verse, you mentioned the like animation and being able to do some other stuff. There's the scene where uh, Jake Johnson, Spider-Man, throws a bagel and... Yeah. Good on, bagel humor in there, and on the like on it, he throws the bagel, and then the little caption that pops up says "bagel" instead of like <laughs> "bam" or "boom." It's it says "bagel" on the screen, and it's like 
okay, like uh, you could do that in a comic book. And like, if you're reading the comic book, you'd like get to that panel and you'd be like, oh my God, that's hilarious. But they did that in a movie. And it was like, to me, it was just like, there's so many like super small details in mm-hmm. all of it. That was just like, geez, like you, you very clearly put a lot of thought into this and it doesn't look like, I mean, it doesn't really look like other movies. Like it doesn't look like other ma- animated movies, I would say. And like you said, JJ, the whole, this really looks like a comic book does i mean it like plays on the screen like Mm -hmm. it plays in that way and i just thought that was fantastic and yeah when miles dad is standing at the door just tears Mm. running down my face like just tears on tears on tears so uh yeah it has plenty of heart totally by the way i i will say this i i i enjoy i semi semi regularly will cry during like you know emotionally charged points of movies and i really enjoy it i embrace it i think it's great um and let me say this under the context of that, like that is a great time for men to cry. You know, all this, like we men should be able to cry during into the spider verse. Great time to cry. Rudy Gobert crying. Cause he didn't make the all-star team. I, I don't care as much about that. Like you got to save your cries for better things like into the spider verse. So again, like crying in, in movies, I'm, I'm all for it. Crying during good TV shows. I'm all for it. I can't, I'm trying to remember the last, <laughs> Oh, what was it? I saw a movie recently. Oh, I'm not even gonna admit uh, during which movie I, I felt a little pinch of of, uh, of emotion running through me. Oh, I think come on, tell me. I'll no, tell it, you which it, which movies I've cried to. It's all of them. Go ahead. Well, no. Well, <laughs> I mean, some of them. I mean, are many of them are, are well deserving. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to add, JD, kind of just um, tacking onto what you said earlier. Yeah, the action in um, like the Marvel movies and or like the Spider the, the like the Superman DC universe movies. Like the whole, you know, immovable object versus unstoppable force, just like bashing each other through buildings for like five minutes thing. Mm-hmm. Really not very interesting. Um, and I, yeah, I, I have to say, I agree. Like, I, I feel like that's what a lot of the like Marvel movies kind of suffer from, um, you know, especially like Hulk, like Hulk just bashing crap, you know, into stuff over and over and over again, you know, like, okay, we get it, you know, um, like the Superman stuff, like Superman against whatever, you know, super thing he's, he's fighting. Okay, we get it. Like, they're just going to kind of go back and forth for a while. And then some thing that probably shouldn't be the difference is going to be the difference here. Um, so I 100% agree. Like, I kind of think that's lame. Also, one other random uh, nitpick on the Avengers movies, which I generally enjoy, but like, the Avengers are a decidedly mixed bunch in terms of like how super they are as heroes. And I feel like they get a little cavalier with like interspersing what like Hawkeye and Black Widow do versus what like Thor and Hulk do. Like, it's just like, Hey, let's just take on these. Like, let's just like do a backflip onto an alien spacecraft. That's going like 50 miles an hour. It's like, Hey, leave that to Thor and Hulk. Like, (laughs) Hawkeye, hide behind a thing and shoot arrows. Like, do not be freestyling like that. Like, you, you're you're not a real Avenger. Like, be freaking careful over here, man. That that I find a little bit annoying. I feel like people should be more specialized in uh, in you know what they're doing. You know, like you you don't need your center handling the ball if we're going to make this lockdown Bucks basketball for a moment, right? Like, you know, not everybody can be Giannis. Uh, just just let's have people specialize in doing their thing. Hawkeye hiding and then popping out to shoot arrows. 
totally totally within good use of that skill set oh man um, who is hawkeye uh, who's his basketball i think he thinks he's jj reddick but he's more like mm. chris copeland or <laughs> <laughs> that's very well done that's very well done JJ. i think that's probably what it is uh i will just say real quick uh this came up forever ago but the reason kingpin needs to look like that is because uh we haven't had a such a, a strange looking movie villain since Danny DeVito's Penguin and Batman Returns. My favorite superhero movie. Such a villain. weird movie. I and saw my that like favorite a year ago. superhero movie. I mean that that movie. Oh, thank God you saw it this late in life. Because seeing that movie early in life probably did a bunch of things to me that I'm still unpacking in therapy every month. But yeah, what a strange movie, right? it's the crazy i did so i saw it when it came out in like the early 90s or whenever it was um i will say also as well the first um the michael keaton the first michael keaton batman movie Mm -hmm. uh is probably the maybe the movie i've seen the most in my life because Mm -hmm. we got we got the vhs tape for it for whatever reason and then like i would just watch it and like it didn't occur i guess to ask for more and varied vhs movies when i was like 10 years old or whatever um so for some reason i just like would watch that movie um in the early 90s and we didn't have we didn't get cable until i think like 1994 um so i watched the the, that batman movie like a like way too many times relative to and i don't even remember like loving it either um but it was you know in terms of like late 80s early 90s obviously it was it was pretty cool uh but yeah like i then saw the second batman movie with danny devito and then I don't really remember having strong opinions about it. And then I randomly rewatched it when it was on, you know, one of the cable TV, sh- mm-hmm. one of some cable channel like a year ago. And I was just like, what? Like the whole premise that, that Danny DeVito's character runs for office. I mean, amazing. Not, not to like stray <laughs> this into politics too much, but like, it was maybe a little bit eerie, like for now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just like, how did this, like, how did anybody think that this was, I mean, it's like, obviously like a very kind of, satirical campy like weird but also dark kind of movie it's very i mean it's like it tim burton directed it right i mean he, he had to yep. yeah like there's no other person that could have directed that weird of a movie mm. um but it's just very very bizarre uh and yeah like you just kind of like really this that that was a okay um i enjoyed christopher walken yeah, in it, though he was i don't think we've had a uh a psychosexual superhero movie since that one came out <laughs> But we had that one, so <laughs> we got one. Um, but yeah, uh, Spider Verse—it's awesome. And by the way, the, the, only, the only the only two animated movies that I can remember seeing since third grade, um, Into the Spider Verse and the the first Lego Movie, are both—is it Phil Lord and something Miller, Lord and Miller? who um yeah also uh, did the last man on earth chris miller chris miller yeah um right yeah i thought lego yes. the lego movie was was great i definitely Cheers. teared up Cheers. Teared, yeah definitely teared up at the end of uh the lego movie that was was fantastic have not seen the second one although i guess that that just came out did you say you saw that this weekend eric i did it's not quite that? as good as the lego okay. movie but that's okay because all, it has so much been a commentary in all of it that it's almost fitting that the sequel isn't as good yeah. uh, because mm-hmm. it has so much commentary on movies in in all of it. So, uh, okay, let's go. I'm trying to think um, 
JJ, I need you to tell me how it is possible if Beale Street Could Talk is not a Best Picture nominee when, good God, look at the Best Picture nominees. Yeah, you know, um, so here's where we... This is... We're, we're about an hour in, so I can say things freely. Um, and actually, this has a weird Warriors tie-in, too. Uh, so Megan Ellison is the daughter of... Can't think of the guy's name. Do you guys know who founded Oracle? Larry Ellison, the software company. Larry Ellison, yeah. So she's the daughter of Larry Ellison, almost, almost owner of the Golden State Warriors. He bid a higher number than uh, Joe Lacob and uh, Peter Guber, and uh, I don't even remember exactly why, but for some reason they gave the the team to the to those guys. So there's a little sliding doors like moment. Like, would the Warriors have been any different um, if if Larry Ellison? Uh, buys them i mean they already had steph curry and maybe clay thompson already so you know maybe not but anyway continue well based on um some decisions that uh his daughter has made recently i don't know how they would be but so she was given a bunch of money she had that and um spent the the first she runs this company called annapurna um which also publishes really interesting video games now too um but uh, a small company that basically gave huge checks to directors that I really love. Uh, they gave Paul Thomas Anderson his big check for The Master and his big check for Phantom Thread. Um, they funded a couple of Richard Linkletter movies. Um, they're responsible for sort of the late career renaissance of David O. Russell. Um, they did things like Her or Wong Kar Wai's The Grand Master. But basically this year... Uh, they funded If Beale Street Could Talk, but they also funded Vice. And they had both Vice and Beale Street, although Vice was much wider, come out on Christmas. And then basically chose Vice is the one we have a shot at getting the Oscar nomination. So we put our money behind that. Because, like, the thing is, and you learn this too when you run critics polls, like, you have to campaign for the movie to get everyone to think, oh, if I vote for this movie, there's probably a legitimate shot that it's going to get a nomination. That's why that's why Nick Kroll so was like, on your ballot, because there was that exactly, Hollywood exactly. machinery, yeah. and they had the tagline, the old people are overrated line. I mean, it was just like, basically like... He had a lead it was like It him. came like pre-made, templatized for an Oscar run. And yeah, it's just, that's the way it goes, right? It's really sad sometimes when the campaigns don't work. <laughs> but, um, well, yeah, you need you need people to believe that they can actually do it. I mean, I would love if Oscar voters were out there like, I want to vote for Zama, this really strange, uh, interesting film about how colonialism is bad, uh, directed by uh, Argentine master Lucrecia Martel. But, like, probably how many people in the uh, Academy actually saw that film? Um, so it came out super late. It didn't have the money behind it and it just kind of got lost. Um, and in my experience, it's kind of been like that for non Oscar voters too, where it came out kind of late, uh, and people just never, never got around to it. It's always one of those things where like, if I hate when my favorite movie of 2018 comes out in 2019, yeah, because it wasn't available. It wasn't, I, I saw it in 2019. Exactly. Um, I did too. I had to wait until then as well because I wasn't going out to New York or LA. I live in Madison, Wisconsin. Sure. Um, so yeah, I think it was just, it came out too late 
And they put their money behind Vice instead, which I don't know what that says. I think did, Vice. Did you has, like the Big like, Short? Out of curiosity, if, I if we're talking I about did it. not like the big. I did not like the Big Short either. But I thought the Big Short is is definitely better than Vice. I will say that. I like the Big Short. I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was a. I thought it was a very good movie. But I, I'm also not like gonna you know ride or die for. I th- for it, but. I thought the other guys did a lot of what the Big Short does, but better. <laughs> that is what I will <laughs> the say. Other guys is, the, the other guys remain it's such so an bad. underrated, such a underrated movie. It's almost like that's his. That's the underrated gem of McKay's filmography. Yeah, because Step Brothers like now is like completely. We know uh, it's a classic. Yeah, Step Brothers like is now completely correctly rated highly by mm-hmm. people, um, but the other guys just never. Just never got that bump, and I don't know. Maybe it's just because like Mark Wahlberg. Like maybe it's just because like now we're like rating like Will Ferrell on on screen chemistry against uh, John mm-hmm. C. Riley and Will Ferrell, and obviously like Mark Wahlberg like isn't going to like bring the heat like John C. Riley can in that regard. Um, but still, like a totally he was totally quite good fun, in the other totally fun good movie. Yeah, and I mean he's basically like Mark Wahlberg is playing like you know, cop Mark Wahlberg, which yes. is basically Mark Wahlberg. Um, <laughs> and they've got that like opening whole like set piece conceit with uh, Sam Jackson and the rock, which is just like a nice way to kick it off. And the Eva Mendes stuff. Yeah. It's totally, totally enjoyable. And it's kind of Everything like a different... Michael Keaton does in that. Oh movie yeah. Too. Michael Keaton. And my boy it's Coogan. All... Don't forget about my boy Coogan. Oh yeah. That's when it becomes the big short. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Coogan. Um, as someone who, uh, are you guys familiar with uh, the character Alan Partridge by, that Steve Coogan mm-hmm. developed? Okay, so this is going to, like, the, JJ, you and I are the, if, uh, we uh, we should listen to this podcast because we're going to be the only people who listen to this <laughs> podcast and know what the hell we're talking about. But um, I, Alan Partridge is this random character that is like a like talk show host from like British talk show host guy that Steve Coogan like developed in like the nineties and like just kept bringing back in like a very British way for like additional TV series and stuff like that. And, um, put out a totally enjoyable and fun Alan Partridge movie a couple years ago, um, which I really enjoyed. And I don't even know if you need to really have background in the character to enjoy that movie. Like my wife thought it was funny and she had never seen anything Alan Partridge wise, but yeah, I, I generally like, am, I feel like I'm a, a Steve Coogan stan. Not maybe not as big as a, as a Sterling Brown stan, um, but I'm a Steve Coogan stan. Um, and uh, and yes, anytime I can say anything positive about Steve Coogan, I will. <laughs> You're listening to Locked On Coogan. Locked On Coogan. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, let's see. Where were we there? Um, okay, so if oh, we could talk, yeah. Yeah, so that's why it got it got lost in sort of sort of the shuffle. Um, so tell everyone though, why they should go see it because I thought it was. You incredible. should see it because it's the best movie that came out last year, and Barry Jenkins is uh, like not only like like he's just I I think we're so lucky to have uh, a major filmmaker in America, uh, particularly who is a sensual filmmaker. He's someone who's deeply in touch with all of his senses. And I don't mean that in terms of like only sort of like a sexual filmmaker, because this is a movie that um, does have some pretty frank sexuality uh, and moving sexuality, but he's just someone who understands like feelings on an extremely, extremely deep level. Uh, He's someone who is also like, 
I mean, Barry Jenkins has made uh, three movies that deeply interrogate the sort of black experience in America, but he does it in the style of like, especially Asian art cinema and uh, this French director, Claire Denis, who he's always trying to crush on on Twitter. Um, but filmmakers like Hao Shou Shen and uh, Wong Kar Wai, these also like people who just make these super, super beautiful, longing, melancholic films. And now we have a person making those in America with actual like big budgets about people who we never see stylized like that in American cinema. Like uh, the list of famous black love stories in film is... Uh, woefully small and uh, there this one is just so vividly wrought and uh, it hurts I mean the the sort of the story it's it's the first time I believe let me make sure I'm not making that up Uh, yeah I think this is true it's it's the first adaptation of a James Baldwin novel yes that is true it's the first filmic adaptation of a James Baldwin novel who is an essential African-American writer um this was a um, book he, he wrote uh, that concerns a love story between um, two people who have known each other pretty much their entire lives. They've grown up together. Don't sort of realize that uh, it's, it's more than a friendship. They love each other until um, a little bit later in their lives. Uh, I believe she's 19 and he's like 23 or something like that. Um, And then they just fall super, super deeply in love uh, very, very quickly. They have this whole buildup of emotions um, that is really encapsulated in the year's best score as well. There's this like fluttering of trumpets uh, where I know the composer Nicholas Bertel said his main sort of idea in that point was like, what does joy sound like? How can I represent joy? And he does it perfectly. He also represents every other emotion perfectly. Um, but uh, Fani, the man in the relationship, um, is pretty quickly accused of uh, a crime, which he did not commit. It is a horrific crime. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's just this, it's this perfect sort of combination of the personal uh, and nailing sort of like the emotions of these two people, those feelings of love, those feelings of melancholy. There's also like, there's a, a really, really powerful thread of family here. Regina King is probably going to win the Oscar on Sunday for playing the uh, matriarch of the family, but Coleman Domingo, who plays the father, uh, is just as good and like the perfect sort of male counterpart. Uh, but then it's also a movie that's really smart about the sort of like, systemic injustice inflicted upon these two people that totally changes not only like Fonny's life, but also Tish's life, the life of both of their families, and then the life of uh, their unborn son, because Tish is pregnant when Fonny is put away in prison. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, I, it, it's a movie that is, is, is so smart about the emotional things I want movies to be smart about, but also so smart about like, the bigger sort of systems those emotions have to work through or are affected by. I just think there's such vivid moments of joy and such vivid moments of pain. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't, it's difficult for, uh, to me for a film to hit both of those and like for that tone to be correct and feel right in both of the, like in the same movie like that, like if, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're a joyful movie, you're going to hit those 
notes a lot better than you're going to hit the the painful notes. And I just feel like the entirety of human emotion like is hit and you feel what you're supposed to feel in those moments. Um, which I, I mean, like if you saw Moonlight, Barry Jenkins last feature film, like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think you're, you're going to feel that same thing in that movie as well. And yeah, I just, I, I, I can't say anything more than I thought Into the Spider-Verse was the best movie uh, of 2018. And then I saw If Bill Street Could Talk and it was just like, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> and like I still think Into the Spider-Verse is fantastic. It's, it's a fantastic movie. But then I saw If Bill Street Could Talk and it was like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> you were just wrong. Yeah, it was, a, it was especially hard for me to see it. It sort of not reached the bigger audience because... I'm going to stunt real quick. We're an hour and 20 minutes in. Who knows if anyone's listening to this. Almost uh, certainly not. So I can, stun as, I can stun as much as I want. Uh, hello, the five Bucks fans who tweet at me every time I have a Bucks opinion. <laughs> I, I love you guys. Thank you. Um, but uh, I saw, actually, Moonlight at its world premiere at the Telluride Film Festival. And actually had the pleasure of the next day sitting down with a couple other grad students uh, to talk to Barry Jenkins for an hour and a half. And uh, I remember when we saw that movie, uh, like the whole narrative around it was like, okay, this is a small movie. It's really powerful. It's really great. But like, will it reach a bigger audience? Will the Oscars care about it? And I remember thinking like, Barry Jenkins is going to get a paycheck and his next movie will be big. But who knows if this gets nominated? And then of course it wins Best Picture in dramatic fashion. And then this movie, I'm like, well, there's Barry Jenkins. He did it again and he did it even better this time. And then the Oscars ignored it in almost every way. So uh, basically, um, don't look to me for guidance on which movies (laughs) will get nominated for Oscars. Uh, you're from them, but if you want to know if Barry Jenkins is nice, he's like literally the nicest person I've ever talked to in my life. It's it's kind of like when there was all that like amazing Oscar buzz. It didn't win, but there was that amazing Oscar buzz, and everybody was just all about Police Academy Four, and then <laughs> they they followed it up with you're like, how can they do better? And then pff, Police Academy Five, no Gutenberg, no problem. You know, it's just like, um, but anyway, no, I and I. I unfortunately I have not seen Moonlight or Bill Street. Oh, it's on Amazon. Yeah, I saw it. I think I saw it recently. I think it may also be on HBO Go now. I saw. Mm. I I recently was like, oh, hey, I can watch this for free now. You know, as though paying three dollars for a movie is like some horrible like (laughs) thing to have to go through. Uh, But yeah, I haven't seen it, and um, I have to say, I am loving this season of True Detective. Mahershala Ali is Mm -hmm. amazing in it. To be honest, I have you guys. Eric, you're not as much of a TV watcher. It sounds like JJ, you're watching. Uh, Eric, I haven't not, seen right? it yet. No, I am. Yeah. I am watching because I I also love Mahershala Ali. Yeah, I I actually paused. Um, I'm watching um the most recent episode. I paused it to record this podcast, so I'm gonna have to like get back into my mode here in a minute. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm like the second season of True Detective. You know, look, I, I still watched it. It was in the grand scheme of TV, okay, fine. Um, but uh, but it was not season one, obviously. And I've just been very excited to like feel excited about True Detective again. And and Mahershali is like great. Um, and if anyone is has not seen the series, period, or has not seen this season, um, you know any any type of like you know if you enjoy any type of like crime drama, I mean this is like totally in your wheelhouse. It plays across multiple time periods, and Mahershali is like playing you know the same character across essentially three different times in his life and is terrific and 
I mean, Steven Dorff is great in it as well. Um, and Scoot McNair is good in it. I autocorrected, tried to tweet Scoot McNair and it got corrected to Scott McNair. So <laughs> apologies um, to Scoot McNair and, and his entire family uh, who have been probably coping with people doing that uh, his entire life. Um, and, um, oh, what's her, I, I think Carmen Ajogo, Ejo, I think her name is, she's the Mahershala's wife in the, in the show. She's great. Uh, yeah, it's really, just really great TV. And, um, it, it actually kind of got me thinking, cause I mean, it, it's kind of funny. We're talking about speaking of like the Marvel comics, um, stuff. Um, I, the, I feel like the first time I really was aware of seeing Mahershala Ali in something, because I didn't see Moonlight, I knew he won for it, won the Oscar for it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Was he played like uh, like the main villain in the first season of Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, oh, this guy's pretty good. And I was like, wait a minute. I think, and then I can't remember. I, I, think, I think Moonlight came out before that, um, or maybe around the same time. And so then I was like, oh, that guy's like not just like a dude. He's, you know... Uh, an oscar-winning actor um and then you know obviously i I have not seen green book and uh just given what i've heard about it i'm probably just not gonna potentially taint my enjoyment of marshall but alita battle angel Um, have you seen alita battle battle angel yet i i have not but i know he's in it um and he's a bad guy in that one right yes he is yeah um, and he's obviously, as you mentioned, he plays the uncle in Into the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. um, which was a nice surprise as well. Um, but yeah, so um, enjoying Mahershala. Oh, he also was um, he also was in uh, Hidden Figures. Not really like a necessarily a awesome, incredible role for him, I think, right? Yeah, Isn't he the is. guy in Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he like is the Taraji P. Henson love interest. Yeah. So shout out to uh, Mahershala Ali. Like, it's 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 so funny to me how not funny but it's so interesting to me how like many actors who become super famous will just like toil in and i don't know maybe he, i don't know that much about his his background as an actor but like toil in like relative obscurity for like 15 or 20 years and then at like the age of 42 or and again i have no i don't even know how old mahershali is but like they just then become like these huge stars and it's just like yeah they're like they had to like be working actors for a really long time to mm-hmm. actually kind of do this and again i could be completely mischaracterizing marshall's career but like it, it seems like he's not atypical in in the sense of you know most people are not you know uh zach efron or whatever who you know, are these like famous like teenage actors and then they uh I, well i don't know what zach efron's become as an actor but uh <laughs> but anyway yeah it's uh did I, I, by the way, I think if, if anyone's interpreting me comparing Zac Efron and Mahershala Ali, please, please don't do that. Um, but again, I think we're so deep into this pod, everyone's falling asleep or, or hit next anyway. That's so, I think that's <laughs> totally okay with me. Um, okay, I, I don't know when the next time you're going to be on the podcast is, JJ. So can, can, we do, can we do lightning round? Can maybe we pick like two more movies that sure. we just really liked from the last year? And um, obviously, if, if anybody agrees. You got it. Agrees. Go for it. Oh, I didn't want to go first. Somebody else go first. Oh, <laughs> Eric, you go. Oh man, what have I just? Seen? I'm trying to think through movies that I've seen in the last year. Why don't I have an account that tells me? I'll what tell. I've seen? I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll I'll go with one here. I'll give you a minute to, to compose yourself. Um, I'm bringing this one up in part because I love the first one, and it's just a good excuse to talk about it. Um, uh, I enjoyed Sicario too. Uh, they they turned it into like way more of like mm. a commercial movie, which I'm sure JJ probably hated it for. Um, I did not okay. see Sicario too, so okay. I know what the um, same here. 
Well, um, it, did you? Well, did you guys see Sicario the first one? Adore it. Okay, I did. so um, do not feel quite the same way. <laughs> um, you are you are a known well you are a known uh, Villeneuve hater, I believe. Uh, is that correct? Um, I know. I love the film Arrival, and I do not care for any of his other movies. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, well, you know, hey, nobody said that uh, Northwestern and Madison give good educations in film, so Ooh, you know that's true. Uh, <laughs> oh. But uh, actually, the Hollywood Reporter said they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, look, I, you know, Sakari, the first Sakari movie is. I, I mean, you know, again, like it was kind of somewhat out of nowhere. I feel like um, I'm, I'm actually kind of, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like amazed that it even like registered as much as it did. Like, I feel like most people kind of became aware of it who like really like movies and it had like s- actually some seeming mainstream penetration, which kind of surprised me um, enough. So that like Sicario two was made and like marketed actually, which kind of really surprised me. And I was definitely like worried that, like, what were they going to do with this, this like, quote-unquote franchise at this point? Um, but I actually really enjoyed it, mainly because it's just, like, Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro, who are, like, very, like, their characters are, like, very enjoyable. And, like, you know, they're just sort of, like, it, those two characters, like, sign me up. I'm interested. I, I enjoy cartel movies. I don't enjoy mob movies. I love cartel movies. Uh, don't know why, because the general ideas are pretty much the same. Um, but, uh, but really enjoyed Sicario too. Some good action set pieces, but more so like just Benicio del Toro, just doing work and Josh Brolin being kind of a badass and doing stuff. Uh, and also like Emily Blunt was kind of like weirdly, she was basically, I felt like in the first movie, they, if I have a complaint about the first movie, it's just that she's sort of like, just kind of like a pawn and just sort of like there and, like they really don't sort of make her. I don't. I feel like they underutilize like what she could be as an actress in in the first one, um, which is sort of also probably the point because like that's she's just sort of like a stooge in some ways in that movie. Um, but anyway, Sicario two, totally enjoyed it. Uh, hashtag would watch again. Um, and then uh, you know there were a lot of like general movies I liked that were like popular. Random movie that I don't even know. It's it's like a very weird like. I don't even know if I call it a genre movie. Um, did either of you see the movie Upgrade? No, but I've heard great things. So I believe it, it, Blumhouse, I believe, is the production company. I think they do mm-hmm. mainly like horror movies, right? Which is like, you know, yep. sort of like cheap horror. Yeah, movies. they do the sort of cheap horror, which is like probably the like best movie in best. Like if you're a producer, like, you know, there's this long history of making low, really relatively low budget, no stars, like horror movies that just sometimes like, go viral and become huge and they made this Mm -hmm. sci-fi movie called upgrade in which the basic premise is if you watch the trailer for this movie you will get a very good feel for what it is like and the whole idea of it like it had like some of the action sequence the basic conceit is it's in the near future and a guy becomes paralyzed and then gets a like ai empowered ship in his like neck that allows him to you know walk again but uh oh! Now he has an AI in his head, and you know whatever. There's mm. moralistic type type kind of you know undertones to everything, um, but it's pretty smart. Like it doesn't, you know, it can, maybe can get a little too cute with that side of it, but it's actually like a really just sort of like you can take it as an action movie, and it's like fun and has like a good sort of tongue in cheek humor to it. Um, and some of the action sequences are just like really well done, 
and shot in just sort of like a cool way, which if you watch the trailer, like you'll get a feel for it. They give you kind of like a nice little sampler of it. And so if you like the trailer, I think you're going to like the movie. And again, it's definitely not a movie that was ever like a big budget release or something like that. It was more of like a, it's like weird because it's an action movie, but it was like kind of like an art, like an art house type type release. It was not kind of the mainstream type type big uh, big movie release, but um, definitely enjoyable uh, and uh, worth a look if if that's sort of your bag. Okay, my two. Uh, Won't you be my neighbor? Documentary about oh oh god, I I cried just like watching like like a little mini featurette on. Oh that. yeah, the, there god. were Mr. Rogers. There were a lot of tears shed. A lot of tears shed in that one. Um so documentary just about kind of what they were about and talking to some of like the people that worked with him over the years and you know kind of what their goals were with the show and um you know in some ways how revolutionary his thoughts on like television for children kind of were. Um so yeah, that was I really enjoyed it. Um obviously it it's not like it's just a documentary. Are they're doing a real Mister? They're doing I shouldn't say a real movie, but they're doing like a movie adaptation <laughs> of like, yeah, a real movie. But like rather than a documentary, they are yeah. Tom Hanks is Mister Rogers. Tom Hanks, uh, directed by Mariel Heller, who did Can You Ever Forgive Me this year, and a movie <laughs> called The Diary of a Teenage Girl a couple years ago. Okay, so maybe that'll be interesting. But the documentary fantastic definitely made me cry that should not be a surprise uh fallout obviously we all love um i saw oceans eight i wanted to like it more because i i like anne hathaway i guess she's kind of a guilty pleasure way uh kind of a guilty and she's good in that movie and she's, she's fantastic she's fantastic in it and the rest of the cast just just kind of just let her down the rest of the movie lets her down um and then i saw creed 2 uh not as good as Creed, but uh, you know, Sly Stallone knows how to make a boxing flick that you know just is gonna gonna get me in my feelings a little bit, make me uh, excited for the underdog and how he's uh, how he's gonna do. And then obviously uh, got the return of Drago, which is you know central to Rocky Four and obviously to uh, to Adonis Creed's life. So like, I you know it's uh, it it felt very much like a Rocky movie. It hit some of those beats that Rocky movies tend to hit. And I enjoyed it. I don't feel bad about it. Did, did either just, I guess, piggybacking on the like female caper movie. Um, did either of you guys see widows, uh, the Steve McQueen movie? It was awesome. And I didn't see it. I did. I I loved widows. Yeah. I I thought it was really enjoyable. Um, definitely. Um, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, again, like it's one of those movies where it's kind of like, it was what I expected it to be, and I it was very well reviewed and just generally well done. And I don't know, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Would would recommend it. It's it's one of those movies where you're like, why don't we get five or six or seven or eight of these movies every year? Like just a a smart sort of enjoyable kind of dark, maybe some deeper themes in there too, but just like an adult drama. Uh, yeah, I liked Widows quite a bit. Do you, let me ask you this question, JJ. Like, I feel like one of the like recurring themes of um, what I hear when people talk about like the business of movies is like, especially when they're talking about movies from like ten years ago that are not like big action movies. It's like, oh well, that movie could never be made today. Oh, that 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 movie doesn't exist today. And it, I don't know. It kind of like makes it seem like the only movies that are made anymore are like franchise IP type movies. And I'm curious what your view on this is, because 
I mean, I, I certainly understand that the the like business of movie making has changed dramatically. Obviously, just the way movies are distributed and you know what even happens with theaters and and box office things like that. I mean, it's, obviously, it's, it's a different type of environment now than it was. I don't know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, whatever. Um, but like, I don't know. Like, let me ask you. I mean, as someone who obviously studies film for a living, like is that a bad thing? Like is the fact that now, you know, the sort of traditional theater calendar is dominated by like kind of big box office type, you know, guaranteed hit movies and, you know, everything else is kind of much more like, like there's no, like people always talk about like, well, there's no more like big, like $50 million drama movies. (laughs) Like, like, I don't know, everything's Mm -hmm. sort of like polarized, but then you also have like, you know, Netflix and I guess to a lesser extent Amazon, just like, writing big checks for just like straight to streaming movies that are like actually legitimate. And now as you're seeing um, this year, like, you know, considered to be, you know, you can contend for, for Oscars doing that as well. Like, I don't know. Is it, is it like a bad thing or is it just different or like, what do you sort of view as, as sort of like that evolution? Like how much does it matter, I guess, to, you know, films and, and our ability to enjoy with what's coming out. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's always better the more variety you can have and the more choices you have, because I love big blockbuster filmmaking. We talked about Mission Impossible for like two hours <laughs> the last time I was on this podcast. I love that stuff. Um, I think the problem, and it isn't even necessarily like, those movies aren't made at the rate they used to be. I mean, there is that that idea that like the middle has sort of bottomed out. There's the high end and then the super, super low end. I don't think that's necessarily true um, fully. I think it's a little more nuanced than that. I think the difference is, one, those movies that are made, most of the country can't see. <laughs> so like something like Widows plays uh, on less screens than those big movies and only plays for a a short amount of time before it's out of theaters. Um, And like, I live in a city that does not have an art house cinema, Madison, Wisconsin, second biggest city in the state. There's no art house cinema. We have two, we have some like a great rep cinema. So you can go see those mid range movies from the forties and fifties. But we don't have an art cinema. We have an AMC we have a new vision and we have a couple Marcus mm. theaters and there's no art cinema here. Uh, and Milwaukee, I mean the, the Oriental theater uh, now that it's under the ownership of Milwaukee film is amazing and has been showing a lot of cool stuff. Um, but that, even that theater was shut down for a while for renovation. So it was like, there wasn't really an art cinema in the state for a little bit in Wisconsin. Um, so it's like hard to see those things uh, except for, on Netflix and Amazon, like you said. Uh, and the problem is, like, those movies aren't necessarily made to watch at home. Like, uh, Roma or whatever, like, that's a movie that demands your attention, even if I didn't like it. It's something that you need to be paying attention to the whole time. Uh, and it's so easy when you're at home. I study these things. This is my job, is to watch movies and write about them. And I will find myself checking my phone if I'm watching a movie at home. And I never do that in the theater. So I think that's one of the big problems is like, it's harder to go see those things um, in theaters. Um, And I think the other problem is like, like those middle movies have not, 
been eliminated. We've mentioned a lot of them uh, on this podcast. Something like A Star is Born is closer to that middle. Something like uh, Phantom Thread, my favorite from last year. Um, like those movies still get made, but they're made at such like uh, they're only like the people um, who have already made like a bunch of movies before um, who have made movies at that rate. When a new person comes out, they make movies at uh, a small budget and then are given that sort of big budget. Um, so yeah, I think it's the problem in terms of who gets to make these movies and uh, sort of where they're shown. Are you are you just like blatantly taking out the trash while while you do this podcast? Now have we reached that part of the podcast. No, I just moved. I just moved to the bathroom because I got angry texts from my wife. <laughs> Um, all right. I think that if That's I've ever cue to, heard, cue to leave, right, if I've ever heard a better cue to leave than that one, uh, I think that's where we'll do it. Exactly. Um, all right. I think that should be it for us. JJ, thank you for once again, blessing us with your film knowledge and general, uh, of course, it's a general fun. fun demeanor, uh, which makes it better when you're talking to two rubes like Frank and I. Uh, so that, <laughs> that's, uh, we're always happy to have you. Thank you for coming by. Of course. Thanks. All right. That is going to be it for us for today on Lockdown Bucks. We'll get back to basketball tomorrow.